All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 287. Jason Lingren is with me, and Mr. Athan Kamenti is back. Um, and that's for a specific reason. We had done episode 244 with Athan, where he made a prediction about when the vaccines would arrive. I think it was December 14, and he nailed it on the head. And Jason and I had both forgotten. Comments came. And then finally, someone linked us to the episode, Rose searched the transcripts, and we found, in fact, Athen had hit it on the head using sidereal methods. And so uh, for that reason, we wanted to have him back, but also to take a look at the period of time that we are in the beginning of 2021 here up to around the equinox or spring. Uh, For those that are interested, these are the episodes Athen has been on. I'll do them backwards. 244 is where the prediction was made. 202, 186, and 164. Uh, Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning. We're kind of way ahead where we were a week ago. Uh, Do we have anything to cover? We don't at the moment. All right, let's just do this then. Hey, man, welcome back. Athen from Portugal, who spent, what, darn near a year in Portugal now. Yep, on the travel thing, they keep extending the uh, visa, so why not? It's good to hunker down for a little bit. Well, one thing about Portugal is a lot of the food is much better than in the United States, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Most of it, at least what we eat is local and a lot of the restaurants use locally sourced stuff. They don't use uh, GMOs and uh, although not everything's organic, it's, uh, I mean, if you're buying local, it usually is. So it's hard to tell the label unless you're going to the grocery store, but honestly, yeah, it's way healthier than the States. Yeah, you see a lot of what I consider old world nations. I guess anything's an old world nation compared to the United States, Um, although we (laughs) did inherit plenty of people from the old world. Uh, A lot of these places have cultures that are directly related to how they eat, Uh, and it will be interesting to see how this plays out because many of these cultures are not going to easily let go of how they've dealt with food over the years. But let's open up here. I don't even know if you recall, Athan. I mean, I know I notified you at some point when we finally realized what episode it was. Do you want to go over one more time how you arrived at December 14 using sidereal methods, which ended up being, I mean, spot on in the state I'm in. It literally was on the ground delivered on the 14th of December. Yeah. Same, same in the UK as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it was pretty straightforward. I mean, it was in Ophiuchus, the solar eclipse, and this is the healer archetype. So one of two things was going to unfold from my perspective. It was either because the elites are choosing that day because they do choose these days for their rituals and things, or it was going to happen at some point during the cycle, because usually with astrology, things will happen within that lunar cycle. So typically, if it was a more naturally occurring thing, I would have expected it to happen at some point in that cycle. So the cycle we're in basically going into January. But the fact that it happened like right on that day, that's just more confirmation for me that it was definitely some planned event there. Doing it at the precise time, you know, the best time to do that if you're trying to push something like that through. Does it, I mean, does the irony strike you? Um, you recognize it as a healing idea, but there are many out there who think it's the exact opposite of healing. Um, is there a bizarre polarity? That can go into this. So in the stars, the way you read them, uh, you're saying, oh, this could be a time for healing. But then this whole other effort is done where many of us are pretty sure it's the opposite of healing. And yet it's under the guise of healing. Do you see where I'm going here? 
Yeah, so when I talk about these constellations, I'm talking about their essence. But of course, all these constellations have unhealthy, you know, extremes to them. So this is a fucus, so it's associated with like the rod of Asclepius, which is what we see not in the United States medical symbol. It's funny enough, they use the Mercury symbol for commerce. But the single rod with the serpent through it, that's the rod of Asclepius, and that's associated with a fucus. So it fundamentally is about healing, but of course, the unhealthy elements of that would be medicine, you know, anything tied to medicine. And we were, we were talking about how that could be tied to the establishment, which we're seeing that's probably going to roll out as a more connection between the establishment and governments and the medical system, something new coming out of that for sure. But yeah, the unhealthy would be to use medicine to either keep people, you know, in the matrix or make them unhealthy. You know, but it's the constellation that deals with medicine in general. Um, so if you would, if you were someone who wanted to use a time period for something like that, that would definitely be the time. Well, it's interesting since you and I have met and I started to try to look at tropical versus sidereal ideas in a tropical sense, I would be firmly in Sagittarius. Uh, if you flip over to sidereal, I'm still kind of on the cusp, but maybe Ophiuchus. So I'm, I'm right there on both signs, which, you know, I started to pay a little more attention. A lot of people have brought up the idea of the 13th sign, but Jason, do you want to add anything into the uh, prediction here before we move? Well, there's something about all of this that maybe we should talk about for a moment, and that's how the bad guys use these things, and that's how Athen was able to do what he did. They understand these concepts, probably going back centuries, if I had to guess, maybe even longer than that, who's to say really but what is it that we can demonstrate for people to understand that the bad guys use everything at their disposal to align to the universe yeah i mean it, it, they've been doing this for thousands of years right so they're of course using astrology it's passed down you know it's part of the ancient teachings so just like what we want what we want to do is use certain cycles for the benefit of that cycle because it's like you're either against the universe at a certain time or you're in flow with it. And if you're against it, like if you're not using the cycle for what it's meant to be used for, like your chances of manifestation or, you know, pursuing whatever it is that you're in intending to pursue diminishes drastically. So it's all about being in flow with the tides, so to speak, but the, you know, cosmic tides in the sense. So they're using these certain time periods for these things because that's the best time for them. Right. It's like the weather. Like I always think of astrology like the weather. Like it's not meant to predict future events, but it can tell you kind of where you're at or where, in this case, we're all at in certain cycles. And although you can do anything in the rain, you know, some things are definitely more beneficial in the rain than when it's sunny or vice versa. So it's just a matter of using these cycles at certain times. They're certainly doing it. This is just more confirmation for me. Um, but uh, yeah, this is what we really want to do personally is use these times for the healthy expressions of these energies. All right. So in just a moment here, we're going to start getting into what's on the horizon from the period of time at the beginning of 2021 up to the spring. But Jason, I'm going to have to ask you to pause for about three minutes. Sorry about this. I'm all alone. I got to deal with the dog. Just a second. All right. We had to take a couple breaks. I'm here by myself with the dog, um, so I'm back. But uh, Athen and I and Jason were, were talking about a thing uh, that I've been coming around to in studying hermetic ideas. And one of the foundational ideas that I'm going to put forward, and I think this is important because people fight over the idea of what's correct. Sidereal, 
Is it tropical? Is it some other method? And this is what I'm beginning to notice, where we can show Athen hit the nail on the head using sidereal means. Um, I was reviewing, and I think the people that are reading Meditations of the Tarot will come across a version of this, the idea between what's correct in realism, the idea of realism, or maybe what we could call nominalism. And what's interesting about it is when you read the definition of one, you think, yeah, that sounds right. And then you read the definition of the other and you think, yeah, that sounds right. But they're opposing ideas. And um, what we find is the church latched onto one of them, realism. And what we find if we look deeper is hermetics uses them both. They say these are opposing ideas, but they're both correct from our point of view. In other words, there's a tool in my toolbox that I can't use with this other tool, but today I'm going to use it. And by the way, tomorrow I may well use the other tool. I think it's important to get that in to try to alleviate. The point I'm trying to make is if you've been studying tropical astrology, keep at it. If you've been doing sidereal, keep at it. If you're doing both, all the more. Um, I suspect that what we will find is the powers that be are interested in manipulating what's in the minds of the many, and we know tropical astrology is in the minds of the many. But anyhow, Atham, back to the point. Um, I'm trying to alleviate some of the infighting that we see all the time about ideas, but can we take a look at wherever you'd like to pick up starting in 2021, or if you think there's a reason to go a little before that. And as we go through the episode here, go up to roughly the equinox somewhere in spring. Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of segueing into, yeah, from 2020, we we're talking about like new establishments. So that was the great conjunction, Jupiter and Saturn, but they're going into Capricorn as we speak. So inside Ariel, of course. So this is, you know, the constellation that deals with Saturn things. It's Saturn's home sign, which deals with governments, systems, structures. So Saturn coming into here usually means a time period of new new things being established. So I would expect definitely a lot of new, just generally, even across the board, even outside of the whole medical thing, like a lot of empowerment for governments and systems in terms of laying legislation, systems, and structures. With that being said, Saturn's going to be squaring Uranus, which I'll talk more about. So Uranus is in a in a way, in a perspective, very different from Saturn in that it deals with rebellion and it deals with freedom and deals with change. So in a square, they're in a clash. They're sort of opposing each other. So that starts around the February time. But nonetheless, coming into this year, there's a lot of energy that's very supportive for building new systems and structures. Obviously, in our personal life, that's great to do. And we can talk about that separately. But collectively, I think that's going to be you know new, new foundations, both politically, governmentally, economically, you know, across the board, especially with Jupiter joining the mix in Capricorn, which tends to expand things and really blow up that type of energy. Coming into January, though, uh, first major event is going to be Mars is going to very early, depending on when this gets released, actually, it'll probably already happen by the time this gets released. But on January 10th, 11th, uh, Mars finally leaves Pisces. And this was the second half of 2020, being very uncertain about the future and where we're putting our action and energy and just having to go with the flow as much as possible. But once Mars goes into Aries, where he's much more comfortable, you know, not Pisces, where he's not, it's very watery, very nebulous, definitely easier for taking action and just being a lot clearer in terms of things. So I think generally, collectively, as the fog sort of lifts and we start to see where there's more action and energy, I think that's going to coincide with hopefully 
less of the lockdowns kinds of situations, or at least being clear on what the legislations are, something that people can kind of foresee into the future. But I think the main lifting up of that fogginess won't happen until probably mid-March or around March and onwards because of Neptune. So Neptune's been in Aquarius, which is the constellation of the future. And Neptune is just like that Pisces energy. It muddles, it blurs the lines. And so he's been here for the past 10 years. So generally, as in the past 10 years, like all this stuff regarding our future and stuff has had a, has had that muddled energy and very strongly towards the end of it, what we recently experienced. But once Neptune goes into Pisces, where Neptune's in its home sign, uh, that's going to start to ease up some clarity. So I think when it comes down to like, everything being up in the air and the uncertainty about maybe the virus and the way that it's you know projected, put out there, all this kind of stuff, I would expect to start to lift, especially from about April onwards, at least being clear in terms of what's you know taking place with that. So those are the main things. And I think you know the thing that's really dragging out for the full year is this Saturn square Uranus. So I think there's definitely going to be this sort of clash between those that want more freedom and those that want more just status quo or governmental control or whatever Saturn type of things. So that's from February all the way through December of the year. So this isn't, you know, that large of a cycle, right? So it's something that does happen somewhat cyclically. But nonetheless, like I think it's going to be important because Uranus is in Aries. So these past couple of years where we've seen some of the um, protests, some of the rioting, and just a lot of independent movements just generally across the world. That's going to be the main theme of it because Uranus in Aries really brings out that fire, you know, areas of war, of fighting, of action, and Uranus really about freedom and change. I want to jump in on these ideas because, and I'm not kidding, people who do um, tropical, I think it is so critically important that you continue to try to learn, relearn the sky clock, same for sidereal, or people who are looking at both. But this brings up, when you start talking about Uranus and Neptune, this brings up a big idea. Because when I study old natural sciences and alchemy, the idea is seven. There are five luminaries that we call planets, then there's the sun and the moon. And it is almost magical how you can match it back to the light of the sun, seven colors. It goes on and on and on. Musical notes, all these things. But it seems to me like we have to start growing on top of that old idea of seven. And at the very least, we have to add Uranus now. So I want to ask you some questions about Uranus. And I just did this with Ben Balderson. If I'm not mistaken, the metal that would pair with Uranus is aluminum. And I would point out with all the Alzheimer's and other things or modern things made of metal, you can see how aluminum is really quite a part of so many things we could point to in our life. Um, but we have to start kind of thinking about these other two luminaries that from my lifetime, as far as I know, and I could be wrong, they've been treated almost like that's for a future time. That's a higher vibration and we're not there yet. That was the sense that I got of it. But when I look at the nuts and bolts of what we're doing now, it feels like those need to be added in now. So where, I mean, I know as a sidereal guy, you're going to look and whatever's in the sky you're going to use, but don't you feel like all systems have to begin to minimally start to incorporate Uranus? Yeah. And most do. It's, it's really only the Vedic that don't, they just use the visible luminaries, but even in Western, yeah, they definitely 
use Uranus is, in that. Is it, is it a higher vibrational idea when we're talking about Uranus and its metal? Yeah, exactly. So the further you go out, so from the psychological perspective, you're getting deeper into the psyche. So when like we're reading a chart for someone, for example, like the sun and moon are going to be the most surface of the personality. So that's the largest luminaries in the sky. So they represent the largest part of our visible personality. But as you start to get further and further out, you're getting more and more into the unconscious. And so with Uranus and Neptune, from a psychological standpoint, you're basically looking at very deep, deep seated things in the unconscious that we all share collectively. So this gets into Jungian psychology, where it's like in our unconscious, we have the collective unconscious, and there's more similarity between us. So with these outer luminaries, it's stuff that we all share, like in a generational sense too, like when we're born. And so it's more collective, but also way more deeper into our psyche in terms of our decisions, our actions, our behaviors, and how we share that with the rest of our generation or the rest of the world at this time. So let me try to blow out this idea a little bit. Maybe you can rein me in or teach me something or get me on the track. As we were in nearing the conjunction, MTV ran greatest of all time, which is an acronym for GOAT. And their big icon was a golden goat holding popcorn. (laughs) So there you have your goat and your seed, right? Capricorn. So what you said early about sidereal, you said, oh, we're in Capricorn from sidereal, clearly, provably being echoed in those ideas. But here's the thing when I try to go at these logically. So one of the things about Saturn is its time, it's Kronos. When I looked at the oldest kind of definitions of how that came to be, first of all, you're going to be told he's the father of, of Jupiter. But one of the main ideas besides the binding rings around him was that that was the luminary that was the furthest away. Therefore, the orbit was the longest. Therefore, that's one of the main reasons time got associated with Saturn. Now, whether all this is true or not, I would point out from the kind of orbiting ideas, uh, Uranus would be further away and therefore have a longer orbit, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, but I'm not exactly sure that's why they associated it with Kronos, time being associated with Kronos. I think it went back to the original archetypes uh, between Jupiter and, and Saturn in this case, so like Zeus and Kronos. And so Kronos was the earthy energy of like densification. So he essentially ruled over like the 3D material plane, which also encompasses time, which is what we're finding out now with like physics and stuff, but somehow like the Greeks knew that that time was very much tied to the physical realm. Whereas Jupiter was more spiritual, right? So that was more about expansion, spirituality, philosophy, you know, things like this. I think where they probably got the associations was from literally looking at the sky. And just like we're doing with astrology is when these luminaries go into certain areas, we can see patterns. And so when Saturn would go into a certain constellation, every time Saturn went into a constellation, he densified it. Right, he made it into that type of energy. And when Jupiter went into a constellation, he expanded it, made it more abstract, spiritual. So I think for me, it's definitely from the patterns of astrology, like the Greeks got it from the astrology of seeing these patterns repeated through time. Off the top of your head, um, do you pay attention or have the knowledge just to draw on of what? I don't like the word orbital, just so you know, but I'm going to use it because everyone knows what we're talking about. So do you know what the supposed orbital period or a year in Saturnian time would be? For with the sun, it would be something like 29, 30 years. 
do you know what that would be in Unarian? <laughs> Unarian time? Yeah, it'd be something like 81, 82, somewhere around there. So then the last one would be Neptune. Um, and I know you still play, pay attention to Pluto, rightly so, from my point of view. But is Neptune even a longer period or is it interchangeable close? With Neptune, it's even longer. So we're talking like, what is it with Neptune? 160, I believe. Don't quote me on that. But it's Much almost, almost double of Uranus. Yeah. What are the ideas behind Neptune? And this is one thing I can tell you. Like the first time I got my telescope on Saturn, you never forget that. It is almost surreal. Like it doesn't, you know, you're looking at a real thing, but it feels like it's not real. And then when you see Jupiter for the first time, and then it dawns on you that those little dots are supposed moons of Jupiter. But then with an eight inch scope, it's really difficult to see the ones that are further out. They're very dim. They're hard to find. But with Neptune, there's like this aqua greeny blue look to it. So you've kind of explained the the ideas behind um, Uranus and the metal that's associated with it. What is the, the story on Neptune and the metal that would be associated with it? Well, see, the thing with these modern, because we didn't discover Uranus and Neptune until like the 17 and 1800s. It's really hard to say because we have so much literature and so much like past ancient like scripture and understanding from these visible plants. So we know a ton about them. But I have these feeling this feeling that these more modern ones, it's like we haven't had enough time to experience what it would be associated with. I personally don't have any metals associated with them, but what I would associate them with is Uranus is like electricity, because it's all about fast moving action change. It's it was also during the you know invention of like the industrial revolution and things like this that deal with electricity. So it rules technology and everything electrical. Neptune would be water, uh, but of the deepest sense, you might even argue it as ether. In fact, I would say if I was to give them a sort of element in a sense, like Uranus would be called air, but I would give electricity to Uranus and I would give ether to Neptune. But it's definitely associated with water. You know, sense. it's interesting because you can see how they're not agreeing on general searches. This is what I noticed. Neptune, they associate in a general search with cobalt. And I had reason to question that because Uranus, they're calling zinc. And I'm reasonably sure it's aluminum. Um, and I'm, I'm asking these ideas because when you start to get into the hermetic principles, this to me is one of the ways that all these luminaries above our head are grounded back down to this place we are. But anyhow, um, I'll let that go. What do you think is important to cover? If we were going to look at the key points in January, uh, have you covered them? Or is there other things that we we would be well to be aware of? Yeah, January seems to be like the beginning of the Capricorn energy. Because not only is Jupiter and Saturn starting to go into there, but that's when we have the new lunar cycle in Capricorn. So the lunar cycles usually tend to activate uh, whatever is going on collectively in a more immediate sense, like in a monthly or weekly sense, kind of like we, what we did with the eclipse. But in this case, it'll be with Capricorn. So the sun goes into Capricorn around January 20th using the true sidereal and Mercury will go retrograde during this time through February. And so I think this kind of second half of Jan January, first half of February is going to be the main rollouts of these new systems and structures that will still be in development throughout the year. So it's not like this major thing where it all starts, 
but definitely things starting to roll out um, at that time. So I think that's the main thing collectively is Capricorn energy system structures, economic stuff, things of this nature. Like I said, Mars going into Aries, you know, that's a lot of fire, a lot of fire. So we just want to be conscious of that um, because Mars has been in Pisces so long. A lot of that fire has been restricted and bottled up. Um, and so, like I said, next week, January 11th onwards, Mars goes into Aries. So it's definitely more active, more out there, more fighting, more independent. Mars will go over Uranus on January 20th around there. That's the Uranus activation of that sense of freedom. I was talking about. So those are the two main things there. Uh, it seems to really be the emblem of the Saturn square Uranus, the structures versus the, you know, freedom and autonomy thing starting. Well, it's interesting that you would say that. I don't watch the news, but I actually heard a glimpse of some, you know, the old tricks are the best tricks, an airplane. Someone planned to crash an airplane into the Capitol building in D.C. or something. Uh, it would be interesting if when you're saying the Mars energy flips, um, if we saw some skit about White House down or something like that. But if we were looking at everything you just said in tropical ideas, could be 30 30 degrees out, would that be forward or backward? Oh, between tropical? Tropical is always ahead. So it's the sign before inside aerial. So, so instead of Aquari- uh, instead of Capricorn, you'd be talking about Aquarius if you were looking at it from that point of view? Right, but sometimes it does skip a constellation too. But generally, yeah, it, tropical would be the sign in front. The point I would make is we're in a pretty abrupt time where the things we see, you don't have to wonder what just happened. Um, so if you had a good grasp on both sets of ideas, it's not too difficult to see which one fits better, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think it's like what you said, it's a matter of a perspective and what lens you're looking at or what tool you're using to see it. And you'll see the same thing. Like there's plenty of good tropical, you know, astrologers and predictions out there that can see things. So combining that with sidereal, you're getting a more holistic picture, like you're saying. Because like a fucus, for example, is not in tropical. So I don't see how anyone in Tropical would have predicted something like the vaccines or something medical during that eclipse because there just isn't that healer kind of constellation there, for mm. example. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I have so come around that I, I now view both methods as tools in the toolbox that don't necessarily get used on the same job, um, or maybe they can. I am adopting these older ideas uh, that depart from science where this is a very specific thing and it means these very specific things. I'm, I'm starting to break away from that wholesale, but Jason, you want to get in on this while we're in January, January. Well, we have gone through the, uh, the history of calendars and things like that. How much would that have made a difference with say a 10 month calendar and all that? Well, we're just using the Gregorian dates as markers. So we're we're just, you know, with astrology, we're just looking at the skies. So, you know, is that what you mean? Like, it could be March right now, but we'd be saying the same thing. We'd just be calling it a different month. Right. Is there any difference with that? And yeah, I'm always looking to, to think about what do the elites know that we don't? And they know probably way more about what calendars should be than we do. They just throw us a bunch of nonsense. And I was wondering if that actually affects anything or helps them in a way that we might not have the capability. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the Gregorian calendar is exactly used for that reason. Like, why do we, you know, why do we start the new year on January 1st? And how does that correspond with anything 
you know, where, where, where should it start out then? I want to get your point of view. Where should the first of the year be? Well, for me, I like to see it as the solstice, the winter solstice for us in the Northern hemisphere and for the Southern, um, same thing. I think it should still be in the winter. The thing is, is that it's also screwing up the hemispheres because when the Northern hemisphere starts their new year, it's summer over in the Southern. And so that's not the new beginning. That's like the full moon energy. That's like the heightened phase of the solar cycle. So it should be divided up between hemispheres and it should also be using the sun, which is funny because they claim the Gregorian calendar is it. Is, and it is a sun-based calendar, but it's definitely not like set up for the actual sun energy. Like if it was, then they would begin the new year right now around December 21st. And <clears throat> the problem is with procession or what they call procession, this would be constantly changing. So again, we come back to this idea that humans want to simplify everything and make it easy. But in truth, life is constantly evolving and the location of the equinoxes, for example, are changing. And so our calendar would have to be changing to coincide with that as well. So it would be definitely more complex. Like I understand why they simplified it, but now with technology, like there's no reason not to use a an actual solar system. I mean, they could have still done it back then too. But yeah, I think it throws everything off from nature because you're over here celebrating New Year's on some random day when you should be, if anything, celebrating New Year's during the solstice, for example, among other things and the equinoxes and everything else and the lunar cycles. The months should be months as in the meaning of month, month, meaning the lunar month, right? So a new month should start on a new moon. For example, but we start these months in random times of the year. It's just it throws us all you. off. Yeah, I am so with you. But you said some interesting things there because you were pointing out that in the other hemisphere it would be the height of the power, so things would be in full swing. Let's consider what Australia has gone through while we were coming into winter. They were just getting pummeled, so it kind of reflects what you said. But used to be, I would have placed the first year, and I could still easily be swayed to put the beginning of the year in spring when everything resets. But from an astronomical point of view, I'm with you now. When the sun goes to die, hold still for three days and begins to rise, that is where I would mark the logical, no-nonsense, provably correct idea to put the first of the year. And I'm with you on another point. A lot of people want to put that at the full moon. I am so with you. It has to be the new moon. has to be the new moon. And so what we would see is the idea of a year is being played out while the sun's going to die at the winter solstice, but where is the moon? And so in a way, if I'm thinking about this correctly, the first of the year would be changeable slightly because it would depend on that new moon in conjunction with where the sun went to its low point. Is all that correct? Yeah, exactly. The, the months would not correspond with the solar year. Right. In the sense that every day on the solar year would not correspond with the beginning of a new month. Right. And like so, whatever, they, the same day, I mean. Yeah. So people like Dylan have come on to show uh, what's happened. And Janice, John Newary, uh, if we're going to associate it with the church, he made a very convincing run at how the calendars are switched. And to get back to Jason's query... From my point of view now, if we're talking about any calendar, what we are talking about is commerce. And so the way that I view it is if we're talking March anything, April anything, December anything, we're talking about commerce-based ideas which are divorced from nature. And so 
that's the difference. And you can almost look at it as, as above, so below. So if you look up to the sky, sidereally or tropically, maybe, um, you're looking at divinity. That's not dependent on commerce or any other damn thing. And by the way, it is what it is. Nobody's rewriting what you can see at any given moment. Come down here, you're going to get your daylight savings time. You're going to get some bizarre first of the year. The equinoxes will be port reported incorrectly. And so to fine point it, if you're talking about man-made calendars, these are commerce-based ideas. What do you think about all that? Yeah, totally. And they're even set up that way for like the seasons and stuff for trade and stuff like this, yep. like the Ides of March and stuff. But um, yeah, and it's also like these names, like these Roman rulers and stuff, like think of how much energy goes into that. Like for those of you out there that like believe in like words have energy and like perception has energy, like all these words that they use, all these like constructs, like it's, you have to really ask yourself what you're giving that energy to. Yeah. Well, th think about it. So we, we've got uh, Augustus, you know, August is one of the claims. It's almost like turning yourself into a god if you use the idea of worship as the reason for, I, I don't know, what are we talking about? An, an egregore and a Gregor here? You, you see what I'm getting at? It's a mental construct that is then powered by mental energy, but all of us say August, August all year long, and we know full well it's from Augustus. Uh, it's almost like a run at elevating yourself to divinity isn't it kind of mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's like a different level of consciousness and awareness yeah dylan also very succinctly talked about the idea of and some people say egregore i say egregor because that's how it's spelled um but it's an important idea because it plays into what we're saying here um whatever a bulk of human minds is engaged with with their minds has created a thing that actually exists on some level but to pull back around so did we do january or is there anything more to add about january no that's the general thing i mean jupiter's also squaring uranus but it really just adds to what we're saying it's like it's an aries uranus capricorn month it is the fire and the earth and the real square doesn't start till february but it's definitely this combination of the fire in the earth. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and push into the next month and pick out some key points. So yeah, February is the Saturn square Uranus. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if not by then, like I said, it could be from January. Some clashes there between the system from independent movements and probably also from protests and things of this nature, I would guess. I'm not trying to scare everybody with this. Like, and I was saying this in the last um, thing too, like notice how this year, it wasn't like this major thing. Like, yes, there was a new beginning with establishment stuff. Yes, there was this vaccine and all stuff, but like, it's best not to read into this because when the time comes, we're going to be in that cycle, all of us, and we're going to feel the energy and we're going to be attuned to it. We have to be careful when we're projecting into the future like this, that we're not creating energy based on where we're at now because when we get there we'll know exactly what to do and it'll be a lot clearer self-fulfilling prophecy is that what you're hinting at here uh more of like we just don't want to be in a different state of frequency like right now it's like more pisces this is still inward time it's still reflection and it's important to do that if we're projecting into the future about what aries is going to be like almost fire energy first of all we're going to miss the mark because we're not in that frequency to be able to pick up on it. And secondly, we're just going to come up with all these different perspectives that 99% of the time is not going to be the way we're imagining it. What we do know is the major theme or the weather. 
as I was saying it. So I just want to say that in terms of this stuff, because it can sound like it's scary, but it's it's not. It's not stuff that we should blow out of proportion, like when we talk about this kind of like fire energy, for example. That's all I mean. So with the Saturn square Uranus, the other thing too is I'm thinking like systems and structure, like the government's probably, they're going to probably, there's probably going to be like a tech war or something like this. So I think because Uranus is technology, like I was saying, and Saturn's the government's. So I think we're going to see more infighting between the tech, but most importantly, between governments and tech industry, which we've already been getting hints of recently. And I think this is going to be big for uh, the crypto movement as well. I think there's going to be a lot of regulation uh, placed on crypto. Uranus being the technology center being governments again. So anything that's technological, anything that's innovative, I think the government's really going to clamp down on and use this time to really try to do that, to pass as much legislation or restrict, just restrict as much freedom as possible. And we're seeing this on the internet too, like with YouTube and all this censorship and stuff. So I just see it's, that was like almost a hint of what 2021 will be like. I think it's going to get ramped up more, but at the same time, it's not just Saturn getting ramped up, it's Uranus getting ramped up. So we're also going to see much more freedom and much more like, you know, free individuals fighting against that. So it really is this kind of clash between those two types of energies. Have you been feeling the heat? You run a YouTube channel that's basically about sidereal astrology uh have you felt censorship heat on what you're doing well not censorship because they really can't censor me because it's like then they would just give more power to astrology but yeah in the sense that like when i first started my youtube channel it was great like i was getting tons of views and everything and then as soon as i started noticing other channels started getting censored like they changed their algorithm and they've been oh they've been changing it but like really hardcore like about five years ago i think around there and then they just stopped recommending my videos. So <laughs> censorship in the sense that like literally the only way I get new viewers is either from my website or shows like yours or other people sharing it with their friends and stuff. I've tried everything. I just yeah. do not get recommended. Oh, now all you get is a pile of CNN, Fox News, anything mainstream is all they recommend now. When exactly. I hit 170,000, uh, the breaks were, were for as long as I can remember, I've been at about 180,000. It doesn't even matter to me anymore, but I also have insider friends and hackers. I know that used to work at Google um, and they, they tell you whatever your admitted number is, you can easily, if you're a popular channel, multiply that by 10 in the immediate reach of your channel. But over time you've reached so many more people. And I, I know that's true from the simple um, stats of my website. From the stats of my website, and by the way, I lost all the stats from like the first, I don't know, almost two years because of what happened when we had to switch everything over and try to get over to private service. We lost tons and tons of stats, but it's like 20 or 30 million um, visits and views independent um, over just this shorter period of time, which begins to back it up. But anyhow, uh, Jason, you want to get anything in on the February ideas so far? Well, not necessarily on February itself, but there was something that Athen had said that stuck out to me. Is there a larger cycle at work that the uh, bad guys might be using for, like, let's say, the fake pandemic concept? Are they tapping into something that's going on to make this agenda work? Or are they bucking against the actual natural forces of the universe because they're trying to get this agenda in? 
No, no, they're using they're using the current cycles for their benefit. And they're using the eclipse cycles right now because it's the the south node is in a fucus. So all these eclipses in this whole cycle that started, you know, since last year, it's in a it's in a fucus healer theme when it comes to the life path. So the nodes in astrology are the life path. And so these are very powerful for manifestation and setting intention. And right now it's the Ephucus and Taurus polarity. So the Ephucus is the healer stuff or medicine stuff we're talking about. And then Taurus is the natural earth in the natural uh, realm. But I think they're using that towards the economic stuff with inflation and things like that. So it's like this economic, medical, material, you know, spiritual, you know, put simply, it's basically like the medical industry from their perspective and the economic industry. They're using the current eclipse cycles for those two agendas. How long does that last for? When do you think we might be able to see a turnaround? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so a fucus wraps on top of Scorpio. So it's important to take the full Scorpio elements if we want to see some shifts. And it's pretty much at the end of the year for, for the Scorpio side of it. So once we get to December of 2021, there'll be one final probably culmination of that. But then 2022 doesn't have that main theme with it. The economic one goes further, and that goes further for a number of reasons. It's not just the North Node. Uh, we're going to have Uranus going into Taurus in a couple years. Um, Pluto's going to go into Capricorn. So in a bigger picture sense, the economic stuff is they definitely have a lot of like power, I suppose, if they're using these current cycles for those kinds of things for the upcoming many years, many years. But the medical stuff, this probably 2021, uh, once the South Node leaves Scorpio. Well, it makes me wonder what's going to be left if they really tank the economy for another entire year. (laughs) What could possibly happen in 2022 to turn things around at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think I personally, based on some of the astrology stuff too, is they're going to keep inflating and... um, and then they're going to roll out a digital currency. Once Uranus goes into Taurus, so that's going to be 2023 to 2024. And the closer Uranus gets to Taurus, because that's going to be a whole revamping to the uh, financial situation. But again, it's not just the elite that are doing this either. Like it's happening naturally, like I was saying, like with crypto. So there is going to be choices, like with tech. Basically, it's going to be financial technology. That's going to be changing. And, and from, the, from the governmental standpoint, it's going to be a whole restructuring of their economic system, more than well, likely. The, the hyperinflation, the mirror of history, uh, aligns with exactly what you've said. Every time we've seen the big monetary shifting, like coming off the gold standard, uh, I saw people within the specie gold and silver market pointing out the hyperinflation that always follows. But I guess I'll ask this question now. I was going to hold it for hour two. So there's an idea out there that the inoculation, maybe not the first round, but at some point is going to be devastating to the point where people are trying to show demonstrations of everything from modification of supposed DNA to RNA to all these things that could really have an effect on a population. Do you see anything in the near future that would back up the idea of a huge, I don't know, numbers and population shift or any, you, you see what I'm getting at here. Mm-hmm. Do you see any kind of benchmark that would come into line with ideas like this? Me personally, and again, based on some of the astrology, I think it's just going to get covered up. I don't think there's any, anything that's going to be so big that like 
the mainstream media will talk about it. I think it's going to be subtle. I think a lot of people will be affected through time, but it's just, it's going to be covered, I think, personally. And I don't see anything astrologically that would suggest like this coming to light in such a massive scale that it would be where they couldn't ignore it anymore. I think it's, they could definitely cover it up and they will. Well, it's interesting to think about that because what's happened on the one hand is we've been told that everyone knows someone who's died, which is provably not true. We have a podcast that reaches, Lord, I don't even know how far it reaches. And at one point we said, does anyone know um, anyone who's provably died at this? People like uh, Owen Benjamin, look at the size of his audience. He's done similar things. Um, So we can see that the media has the power to claim one thing and sway minds, even when the minds don't even really know anybody. They may think they do or something like that. But on the other side of it, if we started to lose large segments of society to illness or for whatever reason, um, to a point where you could go into any neighborhood and somebody knew someone, uh, one has to wonder, could the media keep that under wraps? But I guess I didn't want to pull you too far. We were. I, I wanted to ask the question. I was going to do it an hour or two, but what's important to add? Before we get to the top of the hour here, Athen. Well, you know, we could keep going through March. I mean, March is uh, Neptune going into Pisces. So I pretty much covered it. Um, things just getting a little bit clear about the future. Um, but personally, it's just a good time of like, you know, listening to, again, like I always come back to this because it's such so important. It's like, listen to your inner self because our intuition is really going to get heightened. Now on an extreme level and an unhealthy level, a lot of ideals. It's going to be an extremely idealistic time, I think, collectively for this whole period that Neptune's in Pisces. And it's for multi-decades. It's, I have to do the math, but you know, it's something like 20 years. Yikes. So the last time this happened was during the Civil War in the United States. And I'm not saying this is war-related. It's not. But it was a time of like a lot of ideals. And the ideals were clashing and fighting and all this stuff. So just be aware of the ideals and be wary of anyone promising you something more than, you know, is, uh, is practical. And just, you know, understand that everyone's under this very idealistic and dreamy and um, wanting the world to be promised to them kind of energy, wearing rose-colored glasses, let's put it, right? But having said that, Neptune and Pisces is much easier to work with than Aquarius, where he's been, which was muddling the future stuff. So all, like I said, all that, a lot of that gets cleared up slowly, slowly, you know, March onwards. Now, since I was born in March, do these things have a different or stronger effect maybe on someone like me born on March 7th mm-hmm. than if I was born in June? Yeah. Yeah. So when Neptune goes over your sun, because the sun was, you know, in Pisces there when you're born. So when Neptune goes over your sun, that's going to add to that watery energy for you personally. It's going to depend on which area of your life that's involved with, but it could be a very spiritualizing time for you of turning inward and starting to do things that are important to you on a soul level and spiritual level. So do you consider one of the things that I do? is that you would probably consider it microcosm. So let's just define it real quick. The, the real micro microcosm would be what happens in a day, the cycle of a day. Um, we can keep blowing that out, but when you get to a year in terms of what we're talking about, it's still kind of a microcosm. But I am very interested in the cycle of a year. And the reason is, is because since I left San Diego, well, I've been doing it my whole life, but since I've been living in this place where the seasons are generally pretty extreme and well-defined, it's given me observations that I never 
possibly could have have learned from in San Diego, where there's almost like two seasons, two forms of summer. Um, but here, when we're talking about coming into the spring, one of the things I always notice is there's going to be the biggest release of energy. And every year it happens, and it would even if nukes were real, the the energy that will release in and around March or whenever spring comes to your area would dwarf any other form of energy that we've ever known of. Everything will explode green. All these births occur. Um, do you think about how you're laying things down in terms of that microcosm, or are you skewing it more to to you know the big cycles where where are the luminaries now? Do you consider it within the microcosm of a year and what season you're in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like with the um, unfoldment of events, like even though things are starting earlier in the year astrologically, um, that's what I'm saying. It's like give it time because it's still the winter, like at least for the northern hemisphere, right, where m most of us are, are at listening. But the, the year is just getting started. And so as the year unfolds, there's going to be more of that energy building in the solar cycle sense of it so usually when things are happening astrologically in like winter for example particularly in winter you want to give it a lot of variance in terms of the solar development of when things start to ramp up in the solar year but i see it as more of the backdrop and kind of something that is almost like the um the stage in which the events are happening so the events are still happening but the stage or the the environments will be different yeah so while we've just got a few more minutes before i wrap up hour one are there any interesting eclipses, solar or lunar, or other events that might relate to that that you deem uh, worth mentioning in this in yeah. this calendar year, twenty twenty one? Yeah. So, so there's always those eclipse seasons. So the next set of eclipses will have uh, will be on May twenty sixth and June tenth. So these are going to be the shifts from whatever came out of this December time. So probably again, vaccine stuff maybe, but just in general, anything that's come out of the December time will come to its, its sort of full culmination in a sense. So let's say, for example, it's not the only thing, but let's say, for example, with the vaccines, you know, that might be when it just really gets established. Like it's just clear, like this is how it's going to be. Because like right now, like I said, it's a lot of uncertainty. Are we going to be mandated to take vaccines? Can we travel without a vaccine? Do, you know, will we have to wear a mask? Like what is all this? I think all that will definitely be clear I, around that summertime. I, I think I can back you up because if I heard you correctly, you just said May and June here in Rhode Island. What I have seen verbatim is, oh, the vaccine arrived here. We are in December on the 14th. But unfortunately, the general population probably won't get a shot at their vaccine they've been waiting for until wait for it, spring or summer, which that lines up with what you just said verbatim. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be the next shift from what started in December. But of course, it's still the whole year, like I was telling Jason, you know, with the eclipses. So the next set of eclipses, November 19th and December 4th of 21. So by that time, things should be completely solidified to where it becomes whatever it is to become. You know, what what, what kinds of eclipses are we talking about? Are these all solar that you've just mentioned or are they lunar as well? No, they're the just the, the eclipse cycle, right? So we have the solar eclipse. Well, I'll start with the lunar eclipse. Lunar eclipse, May 26th, solar eclipse, June 10th. And then lunar eclipse, November 19th, solar eclipse, December 4th. So as I begin to wrap up here, I'll make a speculation on what I learned firsthand, but I want to get your point of view. Do you view a solar eclipse as a negative event 
per se. And I'll just tell the quick story of how I set out for years to try to prove that the moon played no role in a solar eclipse and came around to understanding that it's provable. It's the nodes, most likely. Uh, the Vedics have said this for Lord knows how long, but this is what happened on the first full eclipse in our country in a long time. I think it was August 21, 2017. I hope I have that date right. It's been a while now, but during the fullness of the eclipse, as full as it was going to be in my area, and we didn't get total coverage in my area, it wasn't far off. But when we reached the height of the eclipsing, whatever you want to call it, node, body, whatever the hell, I put down my tools, my binoculars, took off my glasses, and I stared directly into the sun because um, a semi-experienced sun gazer, and I knew I could do it without damaging myself. And I stared into the sun for, there's a period when you first look, your eyes have to adjust. It's like bright and overwhelming. And then things start to come into focus. And what happened next took my breath away. On a normal day of sun gazing, you get this, you know, it's bright, then your eyes adjust, then it almost looks like you're looking into a tunnel. Looks almost like the sun is an open portal sometimes. And you get this energetic, calming, healing sense of the world. During the eclipse, it was polar opposite. It, to my eyes, to my naked eyes, it was chaos. It was like, the only way I can describe it is if particles of light or photons were just ricocheting in every direction. It was complete chaos. And as it began to happen, it began to dawn on me that all my life, when you look at the supposed Mayan idea, oh, the dragon's eating the sun, this is a bad event. Um, oh, we're having a solar eclipse. Don't go out today. And it was there and then that I realized that, that the light is being blocked and I have firsthand reason to believe it is in fact a negative type event. I guess to be fair, I don't know every eclipse is like that, but that one, um, that's what I experienced. So from the sidereal point of view, when the light gets blocked of the biggest luminary we're aware of called the sun, do you take that as a negative connotation or does it depend on on what's going on then? Yeah, I think everything is, ideally, you know, we're trying to strive for balance. So when these events are happening, it is an opportunity, but it's it's definitely a bad event to the conscious self in the sense that it's a time of going into the unconscious. So the unconscious is chaos, right? If the conscious, like if we were to go all into the unconscious, we would just lose our minds, right? It would just be pure chaos. With eclipses, it's it's that energy. It's a time of going inward spiritually. And if you can ground yourself in the process, maybe through meditation, spending time inward, right? This kind of healthy stuff, then it can be extremely constructive. Extremely. In fact, that's that's what I think comes out of that. But um, you know, again, it's like it really takes that intention of um seeing it as that opportunity. Because if we just get plunged into the unconscious all of a sudden, like which is what I think an eclipse is doing, um, and we're not setting the intention to kind of do that shadow work or reintegrate some of that deeper energy, and our conscious mind is just lost, right? And in that sense, yeah, it's an extremely bad thing. So I think it's, it's important to use these eclipses as, from the conscious perspective, as a positive experience of something that we can do for our spiritual growth and development, in the context of diving within our own conscious and starting to redeem and reincorporate some of these shadow or evil or bad, you know, aspects of ourself, which are a part of us, 
but we don't want to keep pushing away because then they just come out unconsciously. So I see it from the Jungian perspective. It's about reintegrating the shadow, becoming more individuated, more holistic of redeeming those unconscious parts of ourselves. But the only way we can do that, at least healthfully, is with that intention. Having gone through that experience, if anyone ever asked me for a definition of chaos now, that would be my firsthand. I experienced this definition of what chaos is. What I learned that day is I won't be doing that anymore. Um, I used to say I wish I hadn't, but that's not true because I couldn't know what I know now had I not done it. But it makes me consider when we get to a solar eclipse, what happens? Well, all these people go out with telescopes, which I don't find that too risky. That's being turned into an artificial way to view things. You're looking through a camera or it's on a monitor. But what about all those people that put on the glasses or do other things that are experiencing that kind of chaotic, as you put it, subconscious light? I I wonder if there's any effect um, because certainly I suspect there are times when people that knew the solar eclipse was coming, they would say, well, we're staying in today. Well, we're certainly not going out to stare at it. Do you think that there is any I don't want to say harm because, I mean, how many solar eclipses have we had? But do you think there's a negative aspect to everyone popping on their little glasses and staring at that chaotic energy? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. <laughs> I, yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't do it again. And I can't, I can't even find the words. It, it was literally like I could see photons. They were black. Like the, instead, like if you imagine a skyrocket is a photon, right? So there's this trail of light and the head of the, the rocket is a light like on, on 4th of July, like that idea. If that was going to be like a photon, that's how you'd expect, but wasn't the head was black. The tail was like a, a short angly weird light, but they were just like ricocheting in every direction so fast. It was overwhelming. I almost was mem- mesmerized for a minute before I could wrap my mind back around itself because I was so stunned because I'd stared into the sun so many times, but I don't know, I guess I'll cut it off there from my point of view when whatever that body is, which I currently accept is a node or what would be called Ketu or Rahu um, in the Vedic traditions. When they block that light, there's a negative aspect to it. And I think Atha nailed it. If I had to define it, chaos would be the perfect word. But there it is. I want to thank Athen for hour one. We'll be coming back to hour two at Pro777Radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777Radio.com. I can't remember if I just said it because I must be getting Alzheimer's. That was hour one of episode 287. And I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And before I forget, I want to ask Athen when we come back about the Vedic ideas of Iron Age. As so many are aware, I wanted to try to prove if I could, that we were coming into the age of air, because clearly the, the media and everything is using that language. Fact is, I couldn't do it. And I actually called Athen to try. And Athen put my feet to the fire, and I still can't do that. But when we come back, maybe we can open up asking about the Iron Age. So join us on the other side. There it is, man. Cheers. <laughs>